0: What is it that Americans expect for companies to provide to society? If you're like me and you figured good jobs at fair pay, you're wrong. Hello and welcome to Data Point, the podcast where we talk about all the ways data and analytics are driving innovation in healthcare. In this week's episode, we're gonna be talking with noted health economist, Jane Saracen Khan. We're gonna be talking about some of the ways that our desire for data privacy and our desire for better access to healthcare are running straight into each other. Jane and I had a fantastic conversation together, and I wanna note, Jane is somebody whose work I've been following for more than a decade now, uh, and like many dozens, if not hundreds of others in the healthcare space, look on her as a true mentor, role model example. Uh, so I encourage you to give this a listen uh, and make sure you're paying good attention whenever Jane opens her mouth. Ladies and gentlemen, our conversation with Jane Saracen-Kahn. Jane Saracen-Khan, hello and welcome to the Data Point Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today.
1: I'm so thrilled to be with you. Thanks for the invitation.
0: Absolutely. So this is something I've been looking forward to for a while. Um, and the conversation we're about to have is going to be a really impactful and timely one. I, I want to contextualize it for the listener, though, uh, by letting them get to know you a little bit. Uh, and a little bit about how you came to be at this point uh, to have this conversation. So, would you mind sketching us in a little bit of background, just in terms of your history and some of the the things that have shaped you uh, and your work as as you've uh, moved through your career?
1: Thanks so much for that. I think that will be useful, so people can know my biases and and my lens on this. And not and you, foremost, Jane.
0: No biases I... for you. <laughs>
1: My uh, training uh, at University of Michigan for all those many years I was there uh, ended up in uh, health economics, looking at public health, I have a degree in that and then a, a degree in uh graduate economics and forged that together in the early days when uh we had you know Uwe Reinhardt and Alan Dendhoven the two heroes of the field and uh I was a youngin following in their footsteps um still do Of course, uh, you know, adore uh, both of them with Uwe gone, uh, but Alain's still kicking. Mm -hmm. Um, I started my career in Philadelphia with a healthcare consultancy that worked coast to coast, north to south, east to west, um, as a young uh, consultant, really in the legacy health system. As DRGs came into play, we started to pay for Medicare differently based on diagnoses then. Mm -hmm. And so my work was quite quantitative then, working with Hospitals, health plans, um, providers, and payers, uh, and thinking about how money for Medicare and uh, commercial insurance uh, really flowed through the system. And then um, I fooled around and fell in love with my husband, Robert, who's an international (laughs) banker to this day, and he uh, was transferred to London to manage his bank's branch over there. And so I. Uh, happily uh, moved to London, worked with Touche Ross, now Deloitte, in their uh, health care group. And that's where I learned all about single payer in the NHS, the National mm. Health Service, which is always in the news and this week, we'll talk about in a minute, was in the news again with respect to Google and DeepMind. Um, anyway, there I really learned about the power of a budget in healthcare and technology to measure things. So, mm-hmm. here I'd only been exposed to billing systems. We were paying on the basis of volume, still do a lot. Largely in the United States but in the UK they have to manage and measure because uh, they were spending and still are spending a much lower percent of gross domestic product on health care than the US was and so I came to really love the idea of measuring what we put into the system and what we get out of the system in terms of outcomes and they were already doing that in um, the early 90s when I was working there so when I came home from London then as a healthcare consultant and I've only ever been a health advisor uh, an industry advisor my career since grad school so this is what I've done for the better part of three decades now I came to work more with pharma and health IT and telecoms, um, looking at the role of technology to help us reduce costs. Ha, ha. Um, To this day, I'm still working on those kinds of things. Now, fast forward then to the last um, five to ten years, and as I took on more work in pharma and technology... I also then grew my my company's portfolio, and I launched my own practice almost well well over 15 years ago. Think Health um, to really advise uh, healthcare ecosystem players uh, on this intersection of people and technology and healthcare. And then in our portfolio at Think Health, the last five to 10 years, taking on more in the retail health ecosystem so really looking at what do patients and people and caregivers do in terms of healthcare, care and how can people help bend the cost curve for themselves their families and then add that all up for the larger health system so more work in retail pharmacy consumer goods wearable tech, and food and nutrition because I believe the kitchen in the home is a huge part of health and the grocery store is a health destination as well. So Mm -hmm. That's a long-winded way of letting everyone know my increasing work looking at these touch points of people where we live, work, play, and pray, the role of faith-based institutions, the role of love, the role of spirit in communities is also really powerful. In health Um, so that's sort of my lens on all of this
0: and I'm gonna go ahead and say the words Jane because what the things you're talking about when you talk about retail and groceries and nutrition and even faith we're talking about things that are much more in the social realm than in the medical realm Um,
1: that's correct that's correct and one of the key pieces of data which I write about a lot, and increasingly others are realizing this, is that in the U.S. we spend much more on health care, quote-unquote, than social care, um, and uh, compared to the OECD countries, the U.K., Germany, France, Netherlands, etc., And so we're really um, inversely spending, you know, in terms of per capita per person spending. And in those countries, I hasten to add, there's a greater backbone of primary care and, of course, much better outcomes, which everybody's been reading about the last three to five years. So we are number one, but in some very bad ways, not number one in some very good ways.
0: Yeah. And it's interesting because, I, for me at least, it's important to be able to connect those dots because certainly, yes, I think if we work in healthcare, care, we've been reading more and more about the social determinants of health and you know that what's sort of become a bit of a trope that you know the your your zip code has more to do with your health outcomes than any other uh, any other bit of health data, um, but being able to connect that in terms of thinking about social and health being intertwined, uh, it, it mm-hmm. makes a tremendous amount of sense. Um, mm-hmm. The the thing that sort of uh, I think stirred up the 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 bees in our collective bonnets today was uh, a survey that came out recently. Uh, from from Harris and Finn Partners. And uh, I wonder if you could tee that up for us a little bit uh, as a starting point for our conversation today.
1: Yes. So for many years, I've been hammering on the – integral relationship between person's financial wellness and their overall health. We knew in 2008 when the recession hit that financial health was impacted across the board for everybody but the very poor who really didn't have a 401k or savings. So they were already hacking financially their way through um, the health system the way that they could and really uh, all parts of their daily living. But for middle class people and those work with a pension or 401k that they were saving toward, people really took a hit in 2008. So, increasingly, employers and uh, others uh, who care about um, people's overall wellness and, and well being realize that financial wellness is part of overall health and well being. Well, now we've got another uh, pillar of wellness to worry about, and that's stress about privacy and mm. the protection of personal data. So this week, we had two big headlines. Today, as we record this, it's the 16th of November, just for more context. And this week, uh, Facebook and Google were both in the news on the issue of data privacy and and security and protection. Um, And we won't dive deep into those issues, but just to say that this Harris-Finn Partners survey that came out last week, so in early November, ask people um Uh, broad questions about societal return on investment and corporate responsibility related to organizations and how much positive impact are the organizations we deal with in daily life making on our quality of life and bettering the world. Mm -hmm. This issue of corporate social responsibility, CSR as an acronym, is becoming increasingly important. People listening know the names of Warby Parker, Patagonia, REI, uh, increasingly these uh, the retail companies. Many of them are closing on Thanksgiving Day to give um, their workers the day off to spend with families. Warby Parker. Gives free glasses um, to people uh, there's a, a new sock company I know that donates a pair of socks for every pair of socks that socks that you buy mm-hmm. and we know Millennials and younger and my own daughter who's now 22 uh, make personal spending decisions um, increasingly based on my value you know how much am I spending in terms of a the value of a good but my values um, does this company live, breathe, act the way I would in my daily life as my brothers or sisters keeper, etc. Or a good steward of the world.
0: So I'm gonna I'm gonna break in on you there because I think you know what you're describing to me, yeah, it sounds that sounds like, you know, what we've heard about millennials, but I've got to believe that in a you know a major population survey, you know, the people really expect uh companies to provide jobs uh and not much else that's got to be the number 1 priority right
1: yeah. Well, interestingly, in the uh, Finn survey that they did with the Harris Poll last week on the societal ROI return on investment, um, job creation came lower than two top issues: number one, privacy of data, and number two, closely behind, access to healthcare. So now we see uh, consumers; these are were adults, eighteen and over, in the U.S saying the top issues in terms of social issues on my mind are, one, data privacy, and two, access to health care. That is remarkable. And I have to believe that that
0: that would not have been true five years ago. Um, What an incredible change in terms of people's perception and attitude.
1: Yeah, I think the real tipping point for a lot of this was the Facebook Cambridge Analytica Mm. um, story that came out last year in terms of the election results. We know that the 2016 presidential election really was a flashpoint for a schism in America. We saw this play out on election, uh, the midterm elections uh, a couple weeks ago, which is the week this survey came out, by the way, Uh um, with really tight races. And we're still counting ballots in Florida today as we speak. So we know this was really tight in a lot of places, a very much of a 50-50 chasm in America right now. But interestingly, two-thirds of people told Finn Partners and Harris, two-thirds, that privacy of data was number one and sixty one percent that access to health care was number two. So we know healthcare was a voting issue in the midterms mm-hmm. and here in the Harris um Finn Partners study, access to healthcare seen as a societal issue with an ROI. So this is a majority. This is majority. This is 61%. That's, you know, well over 50. So this is not 50-50 anymore. And so we really have to look at privacy of data and access to healthcare as sort of social determinant factors. What people think about what is equity uh, in a society? And this is, again, the U.S. This isn't Finland. This isn't Sweden. This isn't Norway. Right. This is Scandinavia. This is America. So, um, you know, I I found this incredibly provocative
0: in terms of
1: looking at social determinants and health politics, which is something I have to track for my business. So So, um, anyway, let's
0: do this. I want to I want to take a quick break. But when we come back, I am really looking forward to unpacking um, this idea that data privacy and access to health care has risen so quickly to the top of the list. Um, so we're going to take a very short break. Uh, I will be right back with Jane Saracen Khan uh, talking health data, health privacy, and access to care. Don't go away. Hey everybody, this is Reed Smith. And this is Chris Boyer. And we are co-hosts on a show called Touchpoint, which is a podcast that's dedicated to the discussions on digital marketing and online patient engagement strategies, not only for just hospitals, but health systems and physician practices. In every episode, we'll dive deep into a variety of topics on digital tools, solutions, strategies, and other things that are impacting the healthcare industry today. And while you listen to this show, we would certainly love you to check out ours. All you have to do is swing on over to touchpoint.health for more information, and also some of the other shows that are featured on the Touchpoint Media Network. All right, welcome back to the data point podcast i'm your host greg matthews and i'm here today with health economist jane saracen khan and jane before we went to the break we were just talking about the really fascinating and overwhelming survey results indicating uh, the importance that americans today are placing on data privacy as well as access to health care now I find it probably not coincidental that those two are at the top of the list but I wonder if you can if we can talk a little bit about how those things may be related to one another.
1: Mhm. So I think people first think about the social network data uh, in terms of these Facebook stories that are getting so much press, and they're getting press on both Fox News and CNN. So, mm. equal coverage uh, yes. on all sides of the political spectrum. Uh, Mark Zuckerberg and Sheryl Sandberg's photos were in the front of the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal, you know, in the last two days, because I, I, read, I read real newspapers um, to keep in touch with, with what's going on, because I, I have to. And so, um, th- these are equal opportunities impacts here the uh, health privacy impacts people of all political persuasions people of all ethnicities um, and anyone who uses a credit card has their retail receipt scraped too, beyond a social network so i think they are related although i don't think the consumer necessarily thinks about uh, them together That is health data privacy uh, in the context of their social network privacy, unless they're already in a patient social network, say a member Mm -hmm. of WeGo Health or in one of the health union groups or in patients like me. These are patients who are very health data literate. And let's park that concept uh, in our parking lot for a minute because I want to come back to the issue of health data literacy. It's really important um, because I I believe the industry has a role to play here in educating folks about that. Um, But in any case, um, I think the bottom, bottom, bottom line here is that people understand HIPAA generally. They go when they uh, partake um, in a doctor's appointment uh, every year. They've got to sign their HIPAA forms, sign yep. off on them, so their data can be shared uh, between their primary doctor or specialist and other parts of the health system. The child and people understand that. I think in mm-hmm. in the main, HIPAA's been around now for a couple of decades, but it was written before the era of mass EHR adoption, electronic health record adoption, mm-hmm. and digital data. Uh, can move around much more liquidly than data in paper charts. Ironically, we want data to be liquid so that it can get into those amazing AI systems and help cure disease so our data can be mashed up with other people's data yeah. and our data can go to providers to so we can get a really smart second or third opinion, um, etc. So it's not that consumers don't want data liquidity. The challenge becomes a lot of data, particularly that's, that's very important from our social determinants, our mood, our toileting issues, how we mm. track food, our activity, how we're sleeping, are we depressed on a particular day, are we not practicing safe sex, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera? And I'm a public health person, so I'm going to talk about sex, drugs, and rock and roll along with you know, vaccines and other things.
0: That's um, what the show is all about, Chan, that. sex, yeah. drugs, and rock and roll. Uh,
1: Exactly, yeah we we I mean this is this is our this is life again, where we live, work, play,
0: yeah. um,
1: HIPAA does not cover these transactions, these encounters that we're recording v- via our phones. Uh, in retail receipts via social media. These are digital dust that we all leave every single day if we are participating in any kind of digital life with a credit card in a social network or carrying our phones around with the GPS on. We know. And may I just mention the word Alexa? Of course. she's always listening as we know for better or worse so i mean the, the the challenge is we want our data to go where we want it to go we want it to be used for good most of us are data altruists when it comes to medical research if we're really sick we tend to want to share our data for research sure. that data's been out there for a while um but uh, I think in this um, duality of data privacy and healthcare access for all that comes out of the Finn Partners Harris survey, we now have this intertwining relationship where we have to ask ourselves, is HIPAA enough? I've just come uh, home the last couple weeks. Um, from a three week health tour of the European Union, mm-hmm. uh, meeting with clients and then getting informed about a couple of key issues, one of which is the impact of the GDPR on healthcare. Another is, of course, Brexit, which I'm not going to go into Brexit today and its impact on the National Health Service and healthcare, but it is a it is another topic. But the uh, General Data uh, Protection Regulation, the GDPR, is the all-singing, all-dancing, all-covering privacy reg that covers everyone who's a European Union citizen, mm-hmm. which will include people in the UK until Brexit happens. Uh, they probably will continue GDPR, but it'll be you know their choice to do that. In any case, what's really struck me in the last... 5 years or so since I wrote my paper here's looking at you for the California Healthcare Foundation I mm. knew from the work of Latanya Sweeney at Harvard's Privacy Lab that a privacy project sorry that these digital dust um, points data points were already not covered by HIPAA were flowing outside of the system and third party data brokers like Axiom and others we're scraping it all up, creating profiles of all of us. So this is not a new thing. I've been opining about it for some time, but um, the GDPR didn't exist five years from now. We didn't have Facebook Cambridge Analytica five years ago, right. uh, and nor now um, DeepMind, the AI company operating within Google, now getting absorbed into Google Health, which is a big
0: deal. Let me break in for one sec here, Jane, because I think this is a really interesting concept and it didn't even occur to me as we were doing our pre-interview today, but it, at least on the surface, it looks as though the European Union has seen this problem, right? They, I'm sure, were looking at what the US did with HIPAA and certainly there have always been uh, strong privacy uh, concerns in Europe, but they have jumped into... Legislation that is pretty, as you say, comprehensive, um, and I believe you—you know—you've made the argument that HIPAA was created in a world where people weren't even really thinking about all the kinds of data uh, that would be in existence and accessible, and you know, because of its social impact, actually have a big consequence on people's health. I guess the question that I have is. Is there a step somewhere between, uh, you know, where we are today in the U.S., which is, you know, practically Wild West uh, outside of the limited uh, coverage of HIPAA and the comprehensive legislation approach that was taken in the European Union? You know, are we, you know, are there things that we need to focus on from a population perspective like uh, digital literacy and, you know, the parking lot item of uh, health data literacy. How do, you, how do you connect the dots between what you're seeing in Europe and where we are now in the US?
1: Mm-hmm. So there's a really macro thing, which we're not ready to deal with in America yet, which is mm-hmm. what are what citizens' rights to their data? I'm I'm talking about all data because how do we separate health data from retail receipt data anymore? That's why the GDPR is so powerful because they don't make a distinction between medical data and data of your media use and data of your connected car use and your Mm -hmm. connected refrigerator and and washing machine because it's all data. And that's why it's called the GDPR versus HIPAA. Um, (laughs) HIPAA was a lot of things. It was about portability of health insurance and not necessarily Mm -hmm. data, Uh, you know. So uh, the I didn't stand for information. It standed for um, insurance, by the way. So that's right. Insurance Portability and Accountability Act. So the accountability was the data stuff. But we never put the word data in there, by the way, or information. In any case, um, to to this moment now, uh, what are Americans' rights to their personal data? Our mutual friend, the great, the mighty Casey Quinlan, did a podcast last week on people's uh, right to monetize their health data. Yes, uh, and this is this is a this is you know the more micro question now. Getting to your issue of health data literacy, I think um, we need a wake up call. And transparency, which the healthcare industry, hospitals, doctors, providers, pharmacies, and pharma um, and med device companies uh, would be very wise to get ahead of this, to be transparent, to promote the concept of patient data. Um, ownership and responsibility as a health citizen which is a concept that you'll read about in my book that will be published next year on healthcare consumerism yes but this issue of are we going to be health citizens in America or not is my question now that I personally became a citizen of the EU earlier this year still hold my American passport but in that moment I then was covered by the GDPR as a European Union citizen. And so it struck me, mm, I don't have that protection in the U.S. Uh, as an American, and am I even a health citizen in America, which is a phrase that's used in the EU, health citizens. So there's that big question of you know all 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 singing all dancing data protection in America versus yeah. can we can we um, upscale um, or uptier what HIPAA is in an electronic connected health environment that we're in, and really a global one by the way
0: yeah, and that actually i mean I know that we are uh, kind of skimming the surface on these issues, each of which could be unpacked to uh, an amazing conversation or a, a book coming out in 2019. We'll have to hear more about that. But I, I would love to be, what you just teed up there. I think it was really brought to the fore with the conversations uh, in the last week about Google and DeepMind. Um can you can you yeah. tie that news story? A lot of people have probably read that, but may not understand the connotations of it. Can you help uh, help us get into that one?
1: So, DeepMind, um, people might not know, is based in the U in the UK, um, with staff in London. And DeepMind has had a relationship with the National Health Service to do AI, artificial intelligence, augmented intelligence, uh, data mining um, for projects for the U.K. Um, and now that DeepMind will get absorbed into Google and I guess Google Health, um, which will be led by wonderful Dr. Uh, Feingold from um, Geisinger, you know, Mm -hmm. long story story short, um, the UK uh, is now questioning how will privacy of people's health information get treated at the Google health level versus the deep mind level. So there are now, as we speak, discussions um, in the press and in the back offices, I think it's called the UK Information Office.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, yep. something
1: like information commissioner's office and they're doing an investigation on what's going to happen. So, I mean, we're, you know, this is all dynamic. It's going on right now. Um, and so we have to watch and see what's going on over there. And then on this side of the pond, um, what assurances has Google made in terms of Google health signing business associate agreements
0: with yeah. us,
1: uh, providers, you know, HIPAA-covered entities that it works mm-hmm. with in the legal wonkiness. So, you know, HIPAA has a a string of, of uh, responsibilities. You have the covered entity, which is the doctor, the hospital, the pharmacy, and then the business associate agreements, which are those agreements that those covered entities strike with the folks they send our personal health information to. Mm-hmm. And so, you no, know, we know that a wearable tech, which is um, tracking your activity, your calories, your blood pressure, whatever, is does not sign a HIPAA agreement with with you. Right. That's not in the private. That's not what you when you take an app on um, and agree to you to use it. And it, the fine print it doesn't have anything about HIPAA in it. Yeah. So um, So this is, this is that that world that you were talking about. Wild it's West. really.
0: It's such a it's a fascinating thing. And this kind this really brings us full circle a little bit in that I think we all want that liquidity of our health data in the right places, right? We want for our to to be able to, you know, have these brilliant and innovative companies using machine learning and artificial intelligence techniques to help Mm -hmm. us to better understand and predict uh, you know, our own health uh to be able to help us guide uh the decisions that we make and the decisions that our care providers make i think that's something that people are genuinely enthusiastic about but boy it really comes to a head here when you think about the fact that so much of that data that will help you know make those determinations and make them real make that that uh, uh that potential real is Completely or nearly completely unregulated to this point. And if, if I'm not mistaken, even, you know, genetic data is not necessarily regulated the way that HIPAA is. So, you know, if we do a, a 23andMe or, you know, another genetic test, even that, uh, you know, may not be protected in the way that we would want it to be. So I guess the, the question, I I will, we'll close with this one. How do, how would you want for American citizens in this environment? knowing the concerns about data privacy and knowing the desire for access to better healthcare what are the steps that we ought to be taking to become you know as you put it a health citizen as opposed to just an american citizen what what are some of the things that we could point to uh, to start moving moving us in the right direction there
1: yeah, so it's really interesting. In my blog, which is Health Populi, I don't think we mentioned that. Um, this week, I think it was yesterday, I wrote about. Um, no, it was today. Uh, the survey from Weber Shandwick. I'm a mm. I'm a data junkie, so of course I'm always writing about <laughs> surveys. But Weber Shandwick uh, wrote about uh, people's trust in online health information and what sources are trusted versus those that aren't. And the most trusted channels for health information seeking are clinical people. I trust information that comes from nurses, pharmacists, Mm. doctors, dentists, eye doctors. Lower, lower, lower down are... Pharma websites, even mm. online patient groups and health advocacy organizations. It is the individual clinicians who are licensed to practice and trained where people place their expertise. Now, we found this in an Edelman Health Engagement Barometer many years ago. Um, in the last eight years, one of the barometers found that, in fact, it's expertise that was trusted. Now, the researchers in pharma. If they blog about, Mm -hmm. this is what I learned in a clinical trial, that's much more trusted than the ad that's on TV, that that same pharma talking about the same prescription drug would be talking about. So it's in the individual expertise that patients, consumers, caregivers trust more than these aggregated sites um medical websites are more trusted than mm-hmm. you know the advocacy organizations so the web md's the share cares the, those kinds of places um, in any case, though, so it's these clinicians who are trained that are still trusted, and above all, you know, nurses, pharmacists, doctors in the annual Gallup poll on honesty and ethics and professions. So we look to those folks to help us curate what to trust, what information to trust, and so uh, what should people do? Ask your physician, ask your nurse, ask your neighbor who's a doctor or a nurse or a pharmacist. And my favorite place, the grocery store with a pharmacy. When you're in the grocery store, it could be Walmart, it could be Wegmans, it could be Hy-Vee, H-E-B, the target pharmacist. Ask the pharmacist, what do you think about this piece of data I found online? Or Mm. can you talk to me a little bit about HIPAA? You know, in these retail touch points with these clinicians, go for it. They're there to talk to, to mine, to support us in our daily uh, health making. And so we can access that, but we have to take the responsibility as individuals. If you're a caregiver for someone, talk mm. to them. If you're a grandkid with a grandparent, uh, manage up the way we manage up with our bosses. <laughs> right. And uh, subsequently, if you are a healthcare professional with neighbors at your holiday cocktail party or your Thanksgiving table next week, talk about this stuff and let me quickly hasten the engage with grace, engage with grace um project of Alex Drain and Matthew Holt, Bolty Boy. Please talk about your end of life wishes at your Thanksgiving yep. tables as well. Yeah. Just before we, we, we end this, uh the timing is perfect. Next week we'll all be, you know, loving our al-tryptophan turkey highs. <laughs> so um on your third glass of wine uh, or champagne, um talk about um, life, liberty, and the best um, ending that you can envision for yourself
0: as well. I love that. I'm really glad that you put in a plug for that. It's such an incredible, um, it's a, it's an incredible piece of work that they have undertaken there. Um Jane, I am so grateful for our time today. Uh, for our listeners, I strongly encourage you uh, to catch up with Jane online. As she said, her blog is Health Populi. You can follow her on Twitter at Healthy Thinker. And uh, we'll have lots of interesting links in the show notes for this podcast. So don't feel like you have to write everything down. I'll put all those links and references in there for you. Jane, I uh, have... Really enjoyed following your work for the last decade plus. Uh, so appreciate your, your mentorship, your counsel, uh, your leadership in this space. And uh, most of all, thank you for being a part of the show today.
1: Thank you, Greg, for your leadership. Um, you are a social media guru in this space. You know how to look at this data as well as anybody. And so I look to you as well for guidance and mentoring yourself.
0: Thank you so much. All right. Talk to you next time, everybody. This show is made possible in part by the Social Health Institute. Through research and partnerships with healthcare organizations around the country, the Social Health Institute explores new and innovative ways for hospitals healthcare organizations to develop and enhance their social media and digital marketing strategy. To learn more about the Social Health Institute, visit them online at socialhealthinstitute.com. That's socialhealth.com. Institute.com. Thanks so much for listening to the Datapoint podcast. If you like what you've heard, please do rate, review, and share it with your social network. It means a lot. And if you have ideas for show topics or guests, please email them to me at greg at health, or send a direct message to at Chimose on Twitter. That's C-H-I-M-O-O-S-E on Twitter. For more information about this show or any of the terrific healthcare podcasts in the Touchpoint Media Network, check them out at touchpoint.health. See you next time.